you didn't open up with Jack, go ahead and turn to Psalm 23. We're going to spend our time tonight in the 23rd Psalm, one of the best known chapters in all the Bible. Uh, before we do that, I just want to say again, thank you to everybody who had any part in today. Um, just a, I'm with these guys, what these guys said. I really enjoyed the chili and pie cook-off, just a fun event, just a fun get-together. Um, enjoyed eating, enjoying seeing people sign up for things. Uh, we need to do that every year. That seemed like a really fun thing. And I have to say, when Michael was messing up the announcement to say that I won the pie thing, I almost stayed quiet. I, I was tempted. I was tempted to just stay quiet when that happened. Uh, but Regina McKinney, I think, had the first place pie. Um, they gave, us, gave me third, and uh, I had not even got to tell my dad yet that. Uh, it's a recipe I stole from my dad. My dad's visiting here tonight. And so uh, what I heard happen, though, if I want to be just totally honest, we're friends here, right? Uh, what, I, what I heard happen was uh, my daughter, who, who still loves me at this stage in her life, it was, was next to my pie, and apparently everyone that came by saying, this is my dad's pie, it's awesome. This is my dad's pie, it's awesome. So, so I think that had a little influence on the judges, but it's nice to be loved, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, that will not stop me from every time I make that from now on to say, this is my award-winning pie. That, that is that. So anyway, it was, it was fun regardless. I, I mean, we know we, these are very unprofessionally judged, but just, just a fun day. Uh, a fun day. Sorry, sorry. Because I would have won if it were professionally. No, it's not, that's not what I'm saying. That's not, I, I'm trying to say, never mind, forget it. Anyway, a fun day, I hope. Um, I enjoyed it anyway. Psalm 23. Um, definitely one of those texts that... Uh, Thinking about preaching it, just think, how do you even do justice to Psalm 23? You know, this, this has been a psalm that has held people up for years and years and years. Um, centuries, centuries have gone by where people of faith have leaned on Psalm 23. One reason I wanted to, to talk about it tonight, we've been studying psalms in the Bible classes I've been teaching during the week. And I've just really enjoyed those conversations. They've been good classes, uh, just good hearing people's thoughts and we've been going through the different types of psalms, trust psalms, confession psalms, wisdom psalms, uh, all those sorts of things. And they've been really good. And, and I started to share thoughts on Psalm 23 in the class as we were getting to it. Um, but we had a lot of good thoughts on another psalm. And I thought, let me just wait. And, and I'll, try to, I'll do my best to try to preach Psalm 23. And maybe that's, we can bring everybody into our psalm study a little bit. Psalm, psalms might be my favorite book in all the Bible. Just such a great mixture of learning things and background stories and just genuine faith expressed, such love for God expressed so deeply in the book of Psalms. And as I said, this is the one that's the best known, that um, it's really special to people. So what I'd like to do tonight, I'd like us to explore the question, why is this so special to people? Why of all the 150 Psalms, why has this one tended to, to rise to the top in people's minds as they've read through Psalms and all the other great scriptures that go alongside it? Why has this one tended to rise to the top for people? So we'll explore that tonight. First of all, it's, I think one of the reasons is what's behind it. If you, have, if you have it open there to Psalm 23, you notice there's that little superscription, those little small words that right before verse 1 and if your Bible's like mine, it probably says a psalm of David, a psalm of David. And so let's start right there. The author of this psalm, I think, is a big part of what makes it special to people. David is one of, one of people of faith's 
favorite people, favorite person to read about in the Bible. As people of faith go to Scripture and they look at all the different people God has told us about, David's one of the ones that we look at and say, I, I always enjoy studying his life, not because he's perfect. In fact, he has some of the most dramatic, embarrassing, disappointing failures in all of Scripture. But, but even the way he responds to that, I think, encourages people. Remember, David's the one who, as a teenager... When the whole army is scared to step forward against Goliath, here's this teenager who says, of course God's going to be with me. Let, let me fight him. If no one else is going to do it, let me fight him. God's not going to let us down. This guy's making fun of God. Let, let, let me step out there. God will be with me. He's the one who, when, when Saul was not being what he should have been as king, and Samuel comes to Saul and says, your kingdom will not endure the Lord has sought out for Himself a man after His own heart. And the Lord has appointed him as ruler over His people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. That man after God's own heart would be David. <laughs> that God, looking over all His people, said, there's someone who really wants to please me. I think that's what that means. A man after God's heart. Wanting to please God more than anything. Wanting God to be happy. And for God to look at that and see that quality, that's, that's special. And I hope it reminds us that God sees our hearts and that's the type of thing we want to have in our own spiritual lives. That hopefully God looks at me and says, there's someone who wants to make me happy. Really trying, really trying to please me with their life. That's, that's David. And so David being the author of the psalm, I think is part of it. And again, even, even the failure even the failure of Bathsheba and the spiral that came from it, having her husband killed in battle, lying about it, terrible, terrible things. When he's finally confronted by his friend and prophet Nathan with his sin, to David's credit, his heart rises to the top. It says, I've, I've sinned against the Lord. And to his credit, he, he rebuilds his faith from there after a really bad, dark period of life. So I think one reason people like this psalm is they say, here is David who had these ups and downs with the Lord, and, and, and he's writing about it. He's writing about how he's, he's been with me in valleys, and he's been with me in, in pastures. God's always been alongside me. I think the author makes it special. Second of all, what's behind that little superscription? The background of the author makes it special. So we've already said a little bit about David, so here's what I mean by this. This is a psalm about shepherds and sheep. Before David was a warrior, before he was a king, David was a shepherd. And, and you remember when Samuel first comes to anoint the next king, and he'd been told by God it's one of the sons of Jesse, and they all the, they invite seven of them to the feast, one of them was not invited. And it was David, because his job was to be out there with the sheep. Watching the sheep. And he's, and he's apparently faithful to it. He doesn't sneak away to come to the feast. He, he's, he's faithfully out watching the sheep. And, and as those men pass by and God says, not this one, Samuel, not this one, Samuel, not this one. And Samuel finally says, do you have another son? Because God told me it's one of your sons and he's not here. Well, there's one more, but he's, he's watching the sheep. Well, bring him here. And he's anointed to be the next king. Interesting to me, you remember David, is a, he's a good shepherd. He, he loves his sheep enough when he has that conversation with King Saul about fighting Goliath. He says, when I was tending my father's sheep, 
a lion or bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. David was not afraid. And he was willing to risk his life for a sheep. I don't know if I would have done that. I guess that's part of the job. It's what you're supposed to be signing up for when you're a shepherd in your, your family's flock. But I think at some point I might have said, you know, maybe my life is worth more than the sheep. But David didn't do that. David, David attacks, notice that word, I attacked him if he took my sheep. And I got that sheep back. David is a, he's a good shepherd. And when Nathan, his friend, comes to him about the sin with Bathsheba, it's interesting to me, he told David, a story about sheep and said, David, this, this guy stole that family's lamb and, and it hit David. Now, this is David's background. His faith was built in these pasture lands outside of Bethlehem, feeding the sheep, guarding the sheep, sleeping with the sheep. Uh, when God was looking over who loves me, who, who's got a heart after me, that heart had been built as David was watching sheep. And here he is writing about God's relationship with himself as a shepherd and a sheep. So I think the background's part of the reason we look at this as a a special psalm. Let's read it, and and I'll read it here again. Jack read it just a minute ago, but I'll read it and just try to point out a couple things as we go through it. And then we'll say some more things about why it resonates with us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want And again, your translation may do that a little differently today. I shall not want means I don't have any needs. God's God's taking care of all that. God's taking care of all that. I I don't want for anything. I don't need anything. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. David had had some times he needed that, didn't he? God, God restores my soul when it needs restored. He guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Notice David's, he's he's noticing God's done that. God has led me in the right paths for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. And you'll hear different people say different things. I don't know if there was actually a valley that had that nickname or not. Sometimes you'll read or hear that. Um, I'm not sure about that, but what I do like the description, though, of that valley. It's, it's, got, it's a shadowed valley, maybe a scary valley. Maybe, he's, maybe it's a way of referring to even if I'm dying, God, I'm not going to be afraid if I'm dying because you're going to be with me. Your rod and your staff, like those are things shepherds carried. And David's saying, God, you, you have the rod, you have the staff, and you're comforting me. I'm not, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of evil because, God, you're with me. I want that type of fearlessness in my faith. God, I'm not, I'm not afraid because I know you're with me. And then he changes the image. Interesting because David later became a king. Um, not sure when he wrote this psalm. Um, perhaps it's after all these ups and downs he's been through. But now he changes the image from shepherds and sheep to in a banquet hall. In verse 5, he says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. There's a consistent theme in the Psalms of enemies. That even someone like David, who's trying to serve God, has enemies. Even Jesus 
had enemies, not because he made them, but because they chose to be an enemy. You're going to have people in your life that are going to choose to be an enemy. I hope that's not your choice. I hope it's only theirs. But David says, God, you, as these people are against me, you lift me up. They, they see you blessing me. As they're against me, they see you blessing me. You've anointed my head with oil, a sign of, a sign of respect, a sign of, of mission. My cup overflows. I have far more than I could ever need. My cup is overflowing. And then he ends, verse 6, Surely goodness and loving kindness, God's loving kindness, will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I trust God's goodness will always be with me, and I'll be in God's house forever. So seems to even be thinking in this psalm a little bit of, of maybe death or maybe the forever peace. I'll really be with God forever. So, so many great thoughts packed into these six verses. Let, let me point out four things, if you have the outline there. Four things that I think resonate with us in the psalm and why it's special to us. First of all, I think the psalm says something about us. Let's start with ourselves. He, he compares himself to a sheep. As the Bible often does for us, compares us to sheep. That's not always a flattering comparison. Not, I didn't get to spend time on a farm growing up like some of y'all did. I didn't have a grandparent that, that had a farm. So I missed, I missed all that excitement. I understand sheep aren't the smartest creatures in the world. Uh, there, was a, there were some really good things that have been written about the 23rd Psalm. And even though some of them are, are older, they're still good. And this is one by a guy who... who Back in the 70s, he wrote, A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. And so he put this little book together about from perspective of a guy who was a shepherd. And he just says some things about sheep. Let me share with you some of the things he says about sheep. He says, Sheep are very easily frightened. A stray jackrabbit jumping out from behind a bush can stampede a whole flock. <laughs> That's sort of embarrassing, right? Just a little rabbit jumps out and everybody just starts running. It says, When one startled sheep runs in fright... All the others will, will follow behind it in blind fear, not waiting to see what frightened them. But nothing quiets a flock of sheep like seeing their shepherd in the field with them. In other words, if the shepherd's there and that rabbit jumps out, there might be a quick startle, but they look up and the shepherd's there and he's good, so I'm good. There's no stampede. There's no blind fear chasing down the, down the valley. He says... Sometimes there's tension in the flock. He describes how, how sheep sometimes fight with each other for dominance. Who's, who's in control? Who's the head sheep? And sometimes they'll pick on each other. He says, when there's tension in the flock like this, the sheep can't lie down and rest. They must always stand up and be ready to fight. The result is that it wears the sheep out. They lose weight. They become irritable. don't know what that means, but they become irritable. Whenever the shepherd is around, though, he says... They forget their rivalries, and they stop fighting. That's interesting. Again, I haven't been around it. I trust him more than I trust me. I have no experience here. But he says, so you want to fight with each other, but if the shepherd's there, the pecking order is clear. No need to fight. No need to, to try to beat each other up. The, the shepherd's in control. Let me share just a couple more here. It says the sheep will not rest until they're free from hunger. A hungry sheep is always on its feet, searching for another mouth of food, trying to satisfy its gnawing hunger. So the shepherd had to search hard for green areas or cultivate those areas himself. 
But with the sheep, when it had eaten enough, that's when it lies down. You notice the psalm, you make me lie down in green pastures. And then one more, he says, uh, sheep need water to survive, but they won't drink from noisy, turbulent water. They require a well or a slow-flowing stream, perhaps like the still waters described here in Psalm 23. It's not always flattering to be called a, a sheep, but, but if, if he's describing this clearly, what that says is the shepherd settles all that. Because what we'd have to admit, I think, is that we can be worryful and we can be people that fight for our position and we can be people that are picky and, and need things to be certain ways or we worry about them. But yet the presence of the shepherd, he says, settles all that stuff out. Here's a couple of the passages that refer that compare us to sheep besides Psalm 23. Isaiah 53, a prophecy about Jesus going to the cross. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Just like sheep, we, we scatter, we go the wrong direction, but God has, has taken care of all that. And then in Matthew 9, remember Jesus looks over the multitudes says, seeing the people, verse 36, he felt compassion for them. They were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. They didn't have the shepherd there to settle all that stuff down. But when the shepherd is present, it says something about us. We need a shepherd. We need God there to settle all the things that trouble us. So I think the psalm says something about us. It also says something about guidance about guidance. Life is complex and we don't always know what the right choice is and where to go. And sometimes we stress about that. Uh, we stress about, am I, am I going the right way? Should I be going a different way? Or, or uh, am I making the right decision? Is this the right decision or is that the right decision? Did I make the right decision last year when I did this or that? We, we, sometimes we stress about all the different ways and, and we, when we're seeing things clearly, we can trust that God's the one who knows the big picture, and He's the one that can guide. We've, we've too often seen what happens when we try to take control of the guidance. We've too often seen what happens when we say, I know what I need, and I'm just going to do that. That can lead to some really bad decisions and some bad outcomes. But when, but when God's leading the way, we've seen in Scripture and I hope in life, that goes a different direction and a better direction. And, and a couple things, so if you're, again, you're keeping the outline, some of the ways God promises to guide us in life. The Bible promises that God will provide for us and that God will protect us. Down all those different possible paths. Um, you remember Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. and In all your ways acknowledge Him. Uh, and he will make your paths straight. Like he'll, he'll guide the path if you will... If you'll lean on Him, He'll provide for us, protect us. Let's point out a couple passages that even outside of Psalm 23 that come alongside this idea of God as a shepherd who's leading the way. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I love this promise. I refer to it semi-regularly in lessons because I think we need it. Matthew 6, 33, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And in context... The all these things refers to the stuff you need in life. If you are keeping God first, you will always have enough in life. That's a great promise. 
Because people stress and worry about that. Will we have enough? Can, can we handle all the problems? Do I have enough for the future? Do I, all, all the things that might happen. We worry and we stress. Jesus says, you will have what you need. Keep me first. I will guide the path. God's rod, God's staff will go alongside us and make sure we have the right pastures and the right water. And then the protection. What, what about 2 Thessalonians 3, 3? Another great promise. He starts off here, But the Lord is faithful. And I hope we never forget that phrase. The Lord is faithful. And He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. Down all the possible paths, all the things that could go wrong, all the God will protect us from the evil one. Satan has, Satan has things he hopes to do in our life. He has, he has negative seeds he wants to plant in our hearts. He has bad influences he wants us to listen to. He has frustrations and bitternesses that he hopes will grow and that we'll encourage to grow. But if we will stand next to the shepherd, if we'll just draw a little closer to him, his rod and his staff will keep Satan where he needs to be. In fact, we're promised, right? 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God is not going to allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able. He tells Satan, you can come this far and you can't come any further. And you can come this far, but you can't come any further. God protects us. So I think the psalm is special because it, it gives us a, a reminder that we're being guided if we'll let that happen. If we'll let God do the guiding, He'll protect, He'll provide. You don't Quit trying to do it yourself. <laughs> quit trying to do it all yourself. And, and, and get all the right answers and figure it all out. Put more prayer into it and a little bit less self-reliance into it and trust that the guidance of God will lead the way. So this psalm says something about guidance. Number three, this psalm says something to us about, I think something we struggle with, contentment. You notice this psalm, we're just lying down in green pastures. where It's, it's not, um, it's not this, this big, dramatic God gives me a mansion and a huge army. David could have said that. That's not what he said because he'd seen some of those things in his life. God, you, you give me nice green pastures. You give me water. Uh, another thing I came across that's been around a while but I think is still good is this little thought put together by a guy named Jason Lehman. I don't, I don't know anything else about him except this. But here's this little, I guess you'd call it poem. He says, It was spring. But it was summer I wanted, the warm days, the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall I wanted, the colorful leaves, the cool, dry air. It was fall, but it was winter I wanted, the beautiful snow, the joy of the holiday season. It was winter, but it was spring I wanted, the warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child but it was adulthood I wanted, the freedom, the respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted to be mature, to be sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted, <laughs> the youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle age I wanted, the presence of mind without limitations in my prime. Then my life was over, and I never got what I wanted. It's just a challenging little thought, isn't it? Because aren't we like that sometimes? Like the, the thing we have in front of us, we, we seem to want something different. 
That phrase, the grass is always greener on the other side, that, that came from somewhere as an observation about life. We, some, sadly, some of us are never contented. And I don't know what could ever happen to make us content. Um, but we struggle with that. And yet, and yet this psalm says, God, if you're there, I'm okay. I'm, I'm okay with, with the pasture and the water. And, and I'm not afraid. And I'm going to be with you forever. Like There's a contented picture here that we want, I think. That we know we need and we want it. Um, one of the only people, I don't, I don't know, um, don't know how to say this. Uh, I don't know many people that that have just told me, uh, I feel content in everything. I, I feel content. Now, maybe you're one of those people. Tell me how you got there, because I'm I'm trying to grow into that myself. But one of the people I see in Scripture that I think was really good at that was the Apostle Paul. One of the few people I've ever <laughs> I've ever known to have said, uh, I feel like. God's blessed me with contentment. And Paul doesn't seem like he should have been that person because Paul spent more time in prison than, than we've spent in doing a whole lot of things in life. Paul was in prison. He's getting beaten. He's traveling around. He doesn't really have a home. Like Things are very uncertain in Paul's life. And yet he could say in Philippians 4, writing from prison, once again, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. And I would love to sit down with Paul and say, show me more of that. Teach us how you learned. Now, here's what I think he says. He says, I think he learned it from some experience. Verse 12, I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and of suffering need. And then I think here's the secret of his contentment in verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul found contentment in realizing if I'm next to the God who gives me strength, I'm okay. I, I need, we need to internalize that. We, we need to pray that a little deeper into our hearts. Because maybe, maybe every culture struggles with this, but especially ours where... There's, you should want more, you should want more, you should, you should do more, you can work harder and get more. Like there's this never-ending stream of more that floats in the air in our culture. And Paul is able to say, if I've got God, I'm okay. And Christians should be able to say, if I've got God, I will be okay. Another one of these great little things that somebody wrote years ago is, uh, so I can get the right one here. Um, yeah, so it's a guy named Robert Ketchum who... who wrote a book. The book is called I Shall Not Want, another reflection on the 23rd Psalm. And he tells this story about a Sunday school teacher who's teaching a group of children. And she asked them, uh, can anyone quote the 23rd Psalm? And this little four and a half year old girl raised her hand first and quickly. And the teacher was a bit skeptical. But the teacher said, you can quote the 23rd Psalm? And she said, yes. And so she came up to the front. She faced the class. She made a little bow. And she said, the Lord is my shepherd. That's all I want. And then she sat down <laughs> and bowed again and sat down in her seat. Um, she didn't quite get that right, uh, but she kind of did. She kind of did. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd, and that's all I, that's all I really want because that's... That's what's really important in life. So there's a contentment aspect to this psalm that I think is really special. And then fourth, this psalm 
It's about God. So it tells us something about us, that we are sheep. It tells us something about guidance and all the path, possible pathways. It tells us something about contentment. It tells us something about God. Picturing God as a shepherd, one of many great pictures of God in Scripture. Um, a shepherd really cares. A shepherd sacrifices himself to stand alongside the sheep. The, the shepherd sleeps next to the sheep. The, the shepherd protects the sheep from lion and, lions and bears. The, the, shepherd, the shepherd is making sure the sheep has what they want. We see a picture of a God who cares about us. Yes, he is wiser. Yes, he is stronger. Yes, he, he is smarter. But he cares about us and wants to take care of us. When Jesus described the, the shepherd idea in Matthew chapter 18, um, talking about souls and how, how God cares about us and how we should do the same. He says, starting verse 12, What do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go and search for the one that is straying? Now again, I haven't spent time watching sheep, so uh, I trust Jesus. That's what the shepherd should do, is to leave the 99 here. All right, I'm going after the one. I'm going to risk myself to go find the one. Verse 13, if it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 which have not gone astray. So it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish. We see a picture of God as the shepherd who cares about us so much that when one is missing, it hurts him. When one soul has wandered further than it should, it hurts God. And Jesus is calling us to care about those souls just as much as God does. Again, the whole story of the Bible is that we left. We're the sinners. We're the problem. And yet God keeps reaching out. God keeps searching for us. Jesus comes to us seeking to bring us salvation. We serve a God who is a shepherd who, who seeks for his lost sheep, which includes us. Just a reminder how much God loves us. And I think that's another reason Psalm 23 resonates with us as a special psalm. The uh, last little section I've got here is I put living in the psalm to, to make sure we're letting the psalm be really who we are or who we're becoming with the help of God, if you want to put it that way, because I think there is a high vision here of, of what our faith can be. Let me, let me add this, as you see on the outline on the screen. That shepherd theme would deepen even further when Jesus came to earth. Because you remember what Jesus said about himself in John 10. He said, I am the good shepherd. And that fits Jesus, doesn't it? He, he leaves heaven in search of the lost sheep. And, and He is the one providing the salvation and the guidance and, and all the things we need, things we need, really need for life. I'm the good shepherd, He says. The good shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. Verse 14, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own. As a shepherd, God, He knows us. He knows you. He knows what you love. He knows what you hate. He knows what you struggle with. He knows all the little intricacies of your life. That's a, that's a loving response to who we are, that God loves us that much. I know my own, and my own know me, Jesus says. As Peter would say it in 1 Peter 2.25, You were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. What a great description of Jesus. The shepherd and guardian of our souls. We've come back to him. 
And so Christians can read that 23rd Psalm just as deeply as anyone could in the Old Testament. Let me read it one more time, and I'll share that final thought, and we'll be dismissed. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Another story you'll come across every now and then about the 23rd Psalm tells about a social gathering back in the days when people would get together and they'd have dinner and, and people would read or recite different elements of literature. And there was one uh, social gathering like that where people would come together and there was a famous actor who had been passing through town and had been invited to the house for the feast. And so people were reciting different things and this actor agreed the, the preacher there was a preacher there and this preacher said to the actor can you can you recite the 23rd psalm for us and the actor said i'll make you a deal i'll recite it if you'll recite it after me and so the the preacher the old preacher uh, agreed to do this the story is told they say the the actor recited it and it was perfect it was just like you would expect an actor to deliver the lines of the 23rd psalm but then he, he turned to the old preacher and said, I'd love to hear you recite the 23rd Psalm. And the preacher, maybe with some more stilted words, uh, said the same thing, said the 23rd Psalm, recited it. But they say at the end of the preacher's recitation of the 23rd Psalm, this old preacher, that there were tears around the social gathering, around the table, and Someone asked the actor later, said, why, why do you think there was such an emotional response when that old gentleman recited the 23rd Psalm? And the actor said, I think the reason the response was what it was is that I know the psalm, but he knows the shepherd. My final challenge to us tonight is to truly know the shepherd to make sure, not, not only do we know the 23rd Psalm, I hope you know it. If you don't, it's a good one to memorize, a good one to be able to recite. But even deeper than that, let's know the shepherd, the one who will guide us, the one who will lead us, and let's stand alongside him our entire lives. Tonight, if you are not right with God, God wants to walk with us through life. He wants to give us forgiveness and strength and blessing and fearlessness, the type of contentment, the type of peace that you see here in the 23rd Psalm. Why not, why not come to Him tonight? If you need to talk about anything going on in your spiritual life, we'd love to talk with you after this service is over. We're always willing to pray, to discuss, whatever's, whatever's on your mind. Maybe tonight, though, you'd like to come before the entire church family to let us pray for you about something going on in your life. Uh, maybe to confess sin, to recommit yourself to the Lord. Or maybe you're ready tonight to confess your faith in Jesus Christ and be baptized for forgiveness of sins. We'd love to see you take that most important step. God will walk with you the rest of the way. 
if you'll take that step. Now, if you're ready tonight to make any step of faith, you're invited to come to the front now while we stand and while we sing.